Amen. Open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. This is called Moses versus Pharaoh, part 2. Last week, Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and it didn't go so well. In fact, how many of you remember the title of the sermon last week? Bad to worse. <laughs> Several people came up to me after the sermon or during the week, reached out to me and said, uh, thanks a lot, Pastor Ryan, because my life just went from bad to worse, and it's your fault. Um, no, really, people have contacted me and just said, uh, I was so blessed by what the Lord showed me in his word last week, because that's my life. Bad to worse to worse. Some people got bad news last week, and the Lord really used uh, Moses and Aaron's story to brace them for that. Uh, and and things aren't going so well for Moses, the man of God, uh, and it's not going to get any better today. The title of today's message is Confrontation. There is a collision between the forces of heaven and the forces of earth, and uh, hell's fighting back, and it's not going so well here. So we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 7, uh, verse 8, where it says this, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. We're going to draw from the example here in the text. And the first thing you can write down in your notes is this. Uh, what we see here is a challenge to God's people. A challenge to God's people. As we watch Moses and Aaron rallying God's people to the faith and the hope that come from the power of God, uh, we're learning from their example, how that works. God wants his people to be confident, believing in his strength, trusting his timing. And Moses and Aaron are demonstrating what that looks like to us. So we see here a challenge to God's people to believe in the truth and the power of the one true God. What we're seeing here is pretty awesome. We're seeing two men walk into the presence of Pharaoh and deliver a message from heaven. Jot this down. We must speak for God. We must speak for God. And Moses models what it looks like to be a messenger of the Lord. Believe this, God wants you to share your faith with others. He has made you, Christian, his messenger. And he's challenged each believer to be his messenger of the truth to a world that defies him. We see Aaron and we see Moses showing up and delivering a message and then confirming that message with a sign. Uh, and we see Pharaoh, who's not listening. We must speak for God. Um, many today, sadly, in the church think we don't have to share our faith with others. That's tragic. And my heart for our church is that we would all embrace our pillar of evangelism, uh, which is sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. Evangelism means good, sharing the good news. We are good news messengers, and I want you to embrace the need and the challenge to get your faith out um, Many Christians disagree for whatever reason. They just don't think it's their place to share the truth with others. They don't think other people who perhaps embrace other faiths need what we have. They think they're fine. Uh, and, and so there's this um, 
today, this mood in the church just, that just feels like, you know what, it's our thing, but it doesn't really need to be anybody else's thing. Have you ever heard the quote, preach the gospel at all times? If necessary, what? Use words. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have heard that before? That's one of the most tragic quotes that's ever been uttered in Christian history. Uh, because it doesn't make sense. In order to preach the gospel, we have to use words. Now, what if we flip that around? I saw there's this satire news site out there called the Babylon Bee. They publish news stories that are funny, right? It's not true. So check it out. Here's a Babylon Bee article that says, man feeds the hungry at all times, uses food if necessary. Now, if someone came to you and said, oh, I feed the hungry always, and sometimes I use food, you'd be like, you're crazy. Because if you're going to feed the hungry, you've got to use food. Listen, if you're going to preach the gospel, you've got to use words. We have to literally tell people what we believe. I know what the heart of the original quote is. It's that if your example doesn't line up with the gospel, you shouldn't be sharing it. I agree with that. But this suggestion that we shouldn't be sharing the gospel with our mouths, we should only be living it out with our lives, is a false narrative. The Bible says we must share the gospel with others or they can't be saved. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says there... This is an amazing verse. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? You go to a foreign country and you represent the interests of the uh, leader of your land. So in the ancient world, you would go to a foreign country and you would represent the interests of the king or the emperor. You're there to speak for him, not for you, to speak for him. We are ambassadors. Uh, This is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. When we share our faith, we're speaking on behalf of our king. And the Bible says we are all ambassadors uh, for Christ. And I love what that verse goes on to say. It says we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. When you share your faith, God is making his appeal through you. God's talking through you. And if you refuse to be his messenger, you're not doing anyone any favors. You're doing yourself a favor. If in any way, in your heart, deep down, you're squirming out of this need to share the gospel with the world, you're doing yourself a favor. If you think people are okay as long as they believe what they believe, or, you know, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, or you're doing yourself a favor. Because the gospel is the hope of the world. And if you're keeping it in, you're putting a basket over the light. Uh, You're not being a city on a hill. And God wants us to speak for him. And we have to use words. We must speak for God. This is a challenge to God's people. Moses and Aaron show us what it means to bring a message from heaven to others. Jot this down. We also must confront false gods and false gospels. False gods and false gospels. So what's going on here is Aaron and Moses are coming in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has been told his whole life that he's a god. He's been told his whole life that there are many gods, that Nile is a god, there's gods all over. And Pharaoh's servants their whole life have been thinking they are servants of a god. When Moses and Aaron show up and say, the god demands that you let his people go. Pharaoh's like, which God? As if he should know this God. As if, as if the Pharaoh is stronger than this God. We must understand what's happening here. When Moses and Aaron show up, they are challenging the religion of the country. The religion of the country is Pharaoh's a God. 
Worship him, serve him. The Nile's a god. We need to worship, we need to serve so that we get our crops, we stay healthy, we win our wars. That's their theology. God is confronting their theology. Why, why the snake? Like God sends Moses and Aaron in and they throw a stick down and it becomes a snake. Why doesn't it become a T-Rex? I mean, they would have gotten a lot farther, a lot faster if a T-Rex popped up out of the staff. Am I right? I'm right. Um, why a snake? Uh, check out, this is a picture of the Pharaoh's headdress. And what do you notice that's on the crown up there? Do you see that? There's a cobra. See, so the snake represented the very power and might and essence of the Pharaoh. Um, and Egypt picked a mascot. They picked a very bad mascot. If they knew their biblical history, maybe they should have picked a different animal than a snake because God and snakes go way back, all right, like in the garden. Um, and so they picked a snake. Big mistake. So God has Aaron and Moses turn the staff into a stick. Now, if you read carefully, you realize that Moses somehow got out of snake duty. So Aaron's the one with the stick now. He throws it down, and Moses is like back. Because we all know what happened the first time this staff turned into a snake. What did Moses do? He ran away, and then God made him pick it up by the tail. So Moses delegated, and Aaron's now in charge of this, this snake. And I'm just wondering what Moses' face is like, because he's happy now that Aaron's doing this. And then these other, I don't know, were there three, were there five? I don't even know. These other magicians come in, and they turn their staffs into snakes. Now Moses is looking at a floor full of snakes. And he's like, Aaron's got a big problem on his hands. <laughs> Go get him. This is crazy. And then somehow Aaron's staff, there are two different words used here in the original. And so the, some people think it was either a giant snake or some other form of a reptile that Aaron threw down and they brought their snakes. But there was some sort of domination where Aaron's staff consumed and just, just took out the others. We have some questions here. What do we believe? Do we really believe in this sign, in this miracle? Yes, we do. We do believe Aaron's staff turned into a very scary reptile. We do believe that Pharaoh's assistants came in and did the same. Now, some people can't believe that, so they say, well, maybe that maybe the magicians had this, like, you know, snake that was kind of in a, uh, you know, a, a state, and then when they threw it down, the snake actually just started moving. Well, the, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that these guys actually did it. And to be consistent with what the Bible teaches, we don't have a problem with any of this as Christians because first, God is God. He can do what he wants with what he made. There's nothing limiting a God who pieced the universe together, who rules the rules from breaking them from time to time. We also know there are other places in the Bible where animals are affected, right? Like the whale swallowing Jonah, right? And, and the, the donkey talking. And, and so there are many places where God does things that are rare with animals because he can. Now, what about the Pharaoh's assistants? Did they fake it? Did they come in? We don't know. But the Bible just says they did it. We actually don't even have a problem with believing that because we know demons can control animals, right? I always joke that cat owners know that. I don't have to tell you that. <laughs> Dog owner. Uh, but for real, in the New Testament, there's the demons that leave. They go into the pigs. The pigs run down the hill. Uh, and so we consistently believe the Bible shares this in other places. Uh, and if you know anything about the end times, you know that we have to be ready for a um, messianic-type political ruler to emerge who has the power to do false signs. 
All right? So we know the enemy in the spiritual realm has the ability to do false signs. So I think it's best and most accurate to assume that the Pharaoh's assistants did this. Um, and we'll talk more about the supernatural in the second half of the sermon. But a challenge to God's people is this. We must speak for God and we must confront false gods and false gospels. That's what's happening here. What's happening here is God is confronting the Pharaoh's false gospel, that he's a God and that he's in control. And everything that's happening in the next few weeks with the plagues is God overthrowing one God after another in Egypt. Why does he have a floor full of snakes, you know? I mean, it's because he's overthrowing the power and the false teaching that Pharaoh's a god and that he's in control. One after, why would God bring all these frogs? Oh no, frogs! Ah! Uh, Because they had a god for that. And he's overthrowing one god after another to show that he's the supreme, sovereign, only god. So we have to, we learn from their example, we have to confront false gods, we have to confront false gospels. What are some false gospels that we see today? Let me give you four isms that we have to stand ready to oppose. The first one is pluralism. Pluralism. It's a false gospel. Uh, It tries to replace our truth. It teaches this. Many truths can all be true at the same time. That's pluralism. And how many of you have ever, as you've talked to somebody about your faith, had the other person say, well, that's just your opinion? Raise your hand if you've heard that before. Uh, if you don't know how to respond to that, the conversation dies. It's a conversation killer. Because you can, you can do your very best to talk about how Jesus changed your life and he's the son of God, and then the person can just sweep it all away with, that's just your opinion. What they're believing is called pluralism, that there can be many truths true at the same time, even if those truths contradict each other. Uh, we believe this is irrational nonsense. Okay? One example, no Muslim believes Jesus died on the cross. None of them. None of them, all right? So do you think it can be true at the same time that Jesus did die on the cross and rose again and that he didn't die on the cross? Can those be true at the same time? No, and it's irrational to think that they can. Uh, they, they can't be true at the same time, and they're not the same. So people who are like, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. No, they don't. Zero Muslims believe Jesus died on the cross. 100% of Christians think he did. They're not the same. They're not the same, and they can't be true at the same time. So pluralism tries to smooth over all the differences, and it's just not true. Without an absolute truth, uh, there's really no governing convictions that we can all rally around. So pluralism is a disaster. It leads to anarchy and irrational thinking. Pluralism is a false gospel. Next, secularism is a false gospel. Secularism teaches that we don't need God to explain our world or define our morals. We don't need God. Uh, America has gone secular. We don't need God. Get the Ten Commandments out of here. Get prayer out of schools. Uh, You know, keep churches to themselves. America has gone secular. We don't need God. We don't need God in our law, in our courts. We don't need God. We're removing God like removing vertebrae, and it's leaving us spineless morally. When you are secular, some countries have built this into their whole ideology, Um, That's what uh, Russia was all about. That's what China is all about. We will systematically enforce an atheistic agenda on the people. Uh, And they remove God from the country altogether. And they have failed, but they've done tremendous damage to humanity. Secularism teaches we don't need God to explain our world or define our morals. It leads to anarchy. It leads to violence. 
Uh, it rids the earth of a conscience that unifies humanity. And basically, the person with the most might, the person with the most votes, gets to do whatever they want. It's a disaster. Pluralism is a false gospel. Secularism is a false gospel. Next, materialism is a false gospel. Uh, this is believing that money and power will secure and satisfy us. As long as our economy is great, as long as I get everything I want, I'm going to make it my life mission to prosper. Uh, and we live in a country where all around us, people are gaining the whole world and forfeiting their souls. And they're worrying about bigger, 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 more, 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 and their souls are rotting uh, because a life without Christ is empty. A life without God is hollow. And they are gaining the world. And they are losing all the heavenly treasure that's found in Christ. And they have nothing waiting for them on the other side. It's a tragedy and it's a false gospel. Living for the treasure of earth. Materialism. Finally, extremism. Extremism is the belief that we must attack all who disagree with us. There is political extremism in our country. There is religious extremism in our world. And there is uh, racial extremism happening um, all forms of this are a false gospel. They're trying to produce a kingdom of man that, uh, that they would see as being favorable, and it's a rejection of the gospel because we, we are trying to further a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. So these four things, we're against them. Pluralism, secularism, materialism, extremism, and we must confront false gods and false gospels. We can't get on their program. So a challenge to God's people we see here is we must speak for God, we must confront false gods and false gospels. And then jot this down. We will have enemies. We will have enemies. Um, Moses and Aaron show up and do a pretty awesome thing. And Pharaoh's like, and in come the enemies. Meaning when you share your faith, people will disagree with you. And that's a good day. Uh, that's a good day. Jesus himself said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Let me say that again. Woe unto you. When all men speak well of you. Oh, I finally got my family to just like me. And there's no ripples. And, and, and everything seems to be calm. And I'm just going to bite my tongue. Woe unto you. When all men speak well of you. Everybody likes you. Way to fail. You're blowing it. Uh, go out share your faith. It's time to make some enemies. Stuart McAllister, who speaks and teaches with RZIM Ministries, Ravi Zechariah, says this. God has placed me in Babylon to make me a disturber of the peace. I love that. He's a Scottish guy. He used to be a bouncer before he was saved. This is a guy who, once he got saved, uh, got, caught, got thrown in jail because he was caught bringing Bibles into forbidden lands. I mean, he's a fighter. And he's like, God has put me in Babylon to make me a disturber of the peace. He gets it. If he's going to share his faith, he's going to have some enemies. And you will too. We will have enemies. What else do we observe here? Jot this down. We must be brave. It's going to take courage. We must be brave. Our opponents are powerful. Uh, and the powers that are stacked against us are many. We must be brave. You're right. It could cause trouble at your work. You're right. It might cause turmoil in your family. You're right. You've got to be brave. You've got to be brave. Uh, God sends them in there, and they don't know how it's going to end. I love what missionary C.T. Studd says. Anybody with the last name Studd? I'm going to listen to you. He said this. He said, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. 
Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. He knew it. It's a fight. It's a war. We will have enemies. We must be brave. Number two, jot this down. We must be patient. Number one, we must speak for God. Number two, we must be patient. Let me just encourage you to not lose heart. We've got to be patient. God's being patient with Pharaoh. God could have smashed him. He could... He could have just turned him to dust. He's being patient. And, and we must not lose heart. And I know you've got friends and family who are not saved yet. You can't lose heart. Jot this down. We won't see immediate results. We won't, we won't see immediate results. Because God will demonstrate his patience with a stubborn people. He will multiply his proof and he will allow the person to just not care. We've got to be okay with that. We have to be patient We cannot lose heart. We can't. Uh, We can't lose heart. We won't see immediate results. Jot this down. We must not give up. We must not give up. He kept sending Moses and Aaron back again, back again, back again, back again. And if you're like, well, I shared it with them once and they didn't want to hear it, so I'm done. No, you can't give up. I know it's easier to give up, to not care, to feel like it's over, but that's not true. Uh, We must speak for God. We must be patient. We're watching Moses and Aaron model this as they keep going back to Pharaoh. That's the first half of the sermon. It was a challenge to God's people. Speak for God. Be patient. Now jot this down. Next, we're going to see a challenge to God's opponents. A challenge to God's opponents. Those who are not Christians, those who are not saved, those who are half-hearted in their praise of Christ, but not sold out. Let me just challenge you. If that's you, if you're not saved, if you haven't been baptized, if you still have questions, if you disagree with some of what you're hearing, let me just challenge you to listen very carefully to this next section in the Bible. It says here in verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile. It shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. The Egyptians will grow weary of drinking from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, the canals, and the ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. 
We see here that the Nile, the water of the Nile, was the life of the land. This is where their food came from. This is where their commerce came from. And they thought it was divine. It was one of their gods who was blessing them. And God struck the Nile and turned it to blood. Let's go to Egypt and take a little tour here. Here's a picture of the pyramids. Um, This is where the Israelites lived. They were enslaved. And this was Pharaoh's uh, great place. Uh, Those are tombs that they erect for the kings. Some of them were already built when the Israelites were there. Some of them not. The Israelites may have even helped to build some of the pyramids. Anybody in here ever visited the pyramids in Egypt? We had one person in the first service. Anybody else have visited them? It's on my bucket list. Yeah, all right. It's on my bucket list. Would you say it's a good trip? Yeah, should I go see them? Thumbs up, all right. Uh, here's, here's another picture of the pyramids. And um, he, here is where he lived. This is where Moses and Aaron were doing their thing. Uh, of course, if you go and visit the pyramids, they're not the same because back in 2009, they were destroyed by Decepticons. Um, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But moving on. Here's a satellite image from uh, showing the Nile. And if you look down, you can see how important the Nile is. I bet you can find the Nile on that map. <laughs> uh, not that hard. There's all this desolation, and then there's this fruitful ribbon that runs straight through the desert. Zooming in a little bit, you see how important the Nile is. Again, it's just surrounded by nothing, and then keep going in, and you suddenly see uh, lush, green, fertile land, and you see a lot of water. Uh, and then you zoom in even further, and here's what you get. Now, looking at that, this is where the Israelites live. This is where Moses walked up to the shores and talked to Pharaoh. Uh, And I just need, especially those people in here who are unconvinced and not serving Christ with their entire lives, uh, God turned that to blood. All of it. He turned it to blood. I know the Discovery Channel is maybe like, well, maybe it was sediment. Uh, It happened instantly, and it stank, and uh, I am not convinced that the best explanation is that it was sediment. Uh, It turned to blood. It was a horrible sign of the judgment that was coming. Your land will be filled with your blood. Uh, And God did that. God did that. And God did that to warn us that his terrifying judgment is coming on us. We will stand before him one day, and he wants us to know that his judgment is awful. Uh, His judgment on earth is awful. His judgment in the next life is even worse because that's permanent. Um, And this foreshadows the end times. There there will be blood pouring through the cities of the world in the end times, and God is warning you right now of how terrifying his judgment really is. This is a challenge to the opponents of God, of what his wrath leads to. Number one, you can write this down. We have to believe in the supernatural power of God. God has demonstrated his wrath. This is rare. And I know that there are people who have a problem with the supernatural. They say, I don't believe anything like that could ever happen. Well, just understand that if there is a God who exists, you have to admit that he can do this. If he made everything and is sovereign over all the particles and he made the rules, he could rule the rules. So if there is a God, you can't be like, he can't, as if there's an angel with a physics textbook right there saying, no, uh, no. He's God. He can do what he wants. You might say, well, I haven't seen anything like that. How can I believe that anything like that can happen? Well, it's the thing that makes miracles miraculous is that they're rare. They hardly ever happen. God rarely in the Bible does things this, uh, this 
strong to show his judgment against the land. Uh, Sodom and, and Gomorrah, they got it. God pretty much turned a volcano over in heaven and poured out fire and sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah and burned the whole town to the ground. In Noah's day, it was even worse. The whole world filled with water. Every man and woman perished except Noah and his family, um, which really surprises me. When they sell the Noah's Ark bath play set, it doesn't come with any dead bodies. <laughs> Would it sell? That's the truth. It was horrifying that God did that. And we forget his judgment is awful. We do. And he's promised that the earth will end in fire. We must believe in the supernatural power of God. He turned the Nile to blood. And he did it to warn you that his judgment is horrible. Now I know you might be thinking, well, what, what's God going to do to prove to me that he's real? Well, he doesn't do the miraculous very often. But he does give you proof. Uh, different kinds of proof. God's word is called proof. What you're hearing right now is not just me. God's spirit is speaking through me to you. God's word bears divine authority, and this is the basis of judgment. When we stand before God in judgment, it will be read what we've heard, and it will be read how we responded. Just as Moses and Aaron brought a message from God, Pharaoh's response to the word is what mattered most. It's not the snakes. It's not the what. It's the word that he heard that was going to condemn him. The same is true for you. If God ever gives you something, evidence, proof, he, what, the reason he would do that is to verify that this book is true and you have to believe it. Okay? The word is his evidence. Next, stories of changed lives is God's evidence. He shows that he's changed lives and there's really no other explanation of how that person is different other than God did it. That's what the Bible calls God's testimony written on the heart. He's writing you a letter in the heart of a person you know who's different because of Jesus. And it's very hard to contradict that evidence. Uh, the fullest, though, the final proof God has given all of us is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate and only proof you ever need to know God and believe that it's true. He came into the world to save sinners. He was virgin born. It's impossible. He uh, lived the perfect life. That's impossible. He was thrown on a cross, and there he bore the penalty for the sins of all. It's impossible. Then he was thrown into the grave, and on the third day, he was raised to life, never to die again. And his disciples saw him ascending to the right hand of God, where he is sitting right now, enthroned as king of heaven and king of earth. He's alive right now. And if your hope is in the one who rules heaven, you'll get into his kingdom. It's his kingdom, by the way. Heaven is not your custom-tailored preferred place where all of your preferences are you know, your design scheme and your favorite colors and your favorite toys. Heaven's not about you. This life is not about you. It never has been. It's about Christ. And when you live for the one who died for you, you can be confident that you'll be welcomed into his kingdom forever. Let me ask you this. Have you given Christ a fair hearing or have you dismissed him without even looking into it? And if so, why? Jesus came into the world to save sinners Believe in the supernatural power of God because he's warned us. Number two, jot this down. Reject counterfeits and believe the truth. We see here that the, uh, that the Egyptians, the magicians, whatever, they have several titles, but they show up and they do the same. Now, some people say, oh, there's no way they could do this thing. They must have faked it with food dye, right? Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. You can believe that if you want, uh, but... The Bible says they did it. 
And they're going to run out of steam pretty quickly. They have a little trouble with plagues three on. Okay. Um, and, and they're about to really feel the pain. Uh, but there is, there are counterfeit truth claims in the world that have a spiritual power behind them. If you're not ready for that, you're going to get duped. There are counterfeits, and Pharaoh is a counterfeit. He's a counterfeit God. His servants are counterfeit servants, and the people are caught under this lie. The lie that your Pharaoh is a God, and his servants serve God, and you need to believe him or your water will get bad. Well, that's false. And you have to be on guard, because if you believe something other than Jesus, chances are you believe it for a reason. Because it seems true, because it sounds true, because it's somewhat true, but I just need to tell you that if you're putting your hope in any other name than the Lord Jesus Christ, you're believing a counterfeit claim. It's false, whatever it is. I got a call recently from uh, Diamond Resorts. You know the timeshare company, Diamond, right? And uh, Diamond called me, and uh, they told me that they have an amazing offer for me. And the reason is they're upset because Lauren and I sat through a timeshare presentation a few years ago, and we bought nothing. And they had to give us all the freebies, and they don't like that. We pillaged them. We're like timeshare pirates. And there we were with all of our freebies, and so they keep calling us. And they're like, we want you to sit down for another presentation. And I'm like, all right, well, what are you putting on the table? And they list all these things, three-day cruise, a three-night stay at somewhere, $100 Visa gift card. And I'm like, all right. I said, I could get on board with that. I said, uh, I'm, I'm ready. Can you just verify that you are from Diamond? Uh, sure, sir, Mr. Hall, just give me your credit card information. We'll put you right on to the next caller. And I'm like... No, I'd like to know that you're legit right now. Can you send me an email? No. Can you give me a number? No. Can I talk to your supervisor? And the supervisor's like, hey, this is Larry. You can trust this guy. And I'm like, great. Give me some proof. And they wouldn't. They wouldn't give me any proof until they had my credit card number. So do you think I gave them my credit card number? No, because it's a scam. And they're not with Diamond. They're giving me all this stuff, but it's a counterfeit claim. And listen, they can't deliver on what they're promising. And if you are putting your faith in any other religion or philosophy than the Lord Jesus Christ, in the end, you will be left holding nothing. You're being lied to. It's a counterfeit claim. Oh, there may be some spiritual power behind it, but it's simply not of God. It's false. I, I saw Thor, uh, how do you say it, Ragnarok, last week. How many of you saw Thor. Anybody see Thor? I'm very disappointed with you. It's a very good movie. (laughs) Thor has trouble in this movie because people keep forgetting that he's a god, okay? And so he keeps having to remind people, God of thunder. I'm the god of thunder. And finally, he just starts zapping people with lightning to show him that in his rage, he is is the god of thunder, right? Uh, This is what's going on with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, I'm the god. I'm the god. I'm the god. And he is false. And God keeps sending Moses and Aaron to strip him of the false notion that he's a God and to strip the people of the false notion that he can protect them. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that was so long ago. People today don't believe in all these gods and this and that. And, uh, correction. Read General Douglas MacArthur's speech when he received the Japanese surrender at the end of World War II. And in his speech, he said, uh, the greatest challenge of our time is theological what you believe about God. Now, why would he say that? Because the Japanese believed that their, God, their emperor was a God who promised to protect their skies from bombs falling. Oops. He saw that it was the theology that, that led to the intensity of the war. Uh, and when you look at what's going on with radical militant Islam in the world today, it's their 
different view of God that is filling the earth with blood. And if you don't understand that people who believe something different about God are on a different path and are impacting the world in a different way, uh, you're denying history. This is reality, and this is today, and this is now. The counterfeits are causing tremendous damage to the world. And it's because people are rejecting the truth about Christ and embracing false truths uh, that the world will burn, ultimately. We have to reject counterfeits and believe the truth. Number one, believe in the supernatural power of God. Number two, reject counterfeits and believe the truth. Number three, fear God's wrath and heed God's warnings. Fear God's wrath and heed God's warnings. The fact that God turned the Nile to blood is a warning to all who are sitting here today with crossed arms toward the one who made you, sitting on the fence, not willing to commit. He, hey, listen, listen. He turned the Nile to blood. He turned the Nile to blood. He's not okay with people who are half in. If you heard a warning today that meat from your grocery store was found to be contaminated last week, would you heed that warning? Did you go through your fridge? If you heard a warning that there was a bomb threat made to your daughter's school this week, would, would you heed that warning? Would you take that seriously? What if you heard a warning from heaven this morning that God's eternal judgment is real and it's arriving soon? Um, that's what you're hearing. And hell is real. Um, where's that movie? Heaven's for real. Where's the movie Hell is for Real? Uh, it's real. And there are people there right now who had their final chance. They had their last chance. Pharaoh will soon have his last chance. You, at some point in this world, will have your last chance. And I need you to know that I take my job as a messenger of Christ very seriously. One day I'll stand before Jesus and answer for all of those who sat under my teaching, and Jesus, in front of the angels, is going to evaluate me. Uh, he's not going to laugh at my jokes. He's going to look very carefully at what I shared. And I want you to hear from me that some of you are hearing God calling you out of your life of rebellion and nonchalance and indifference toward Christ right now. He's calling you out of that and he's giving you a terrifying warning of what's coming upon those who refuse to bow before the living God. It breaks my heart that there are some in this room who will never believe and there's nothing I can do to convince you. Uh, that's on you. I could raise the dead right here and there are some who still would not believe. And I'm grieved for you. But I'm talking to those people right now who know that God is telling them, the fight ends right now. Bow. I'm God and you're not. And if you're hearing that, let me just tell you, it's time to respond. You will have a last chance. It could be today. You will stand before the God of heaven and his angels and give an account for your life. If you trust in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, you will be swept away forever. You will have no hope no second chances, and nothing will change your fate. You could be there by morning. I want us as a church to have this sense of urgency built into our DNA. Charles Spurgeon said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. That's my heart.